I really had wished that I had started this journey when I was in prison because I just think it would have been that much better, but also things happen when they are meant to happen. So I discovered it when I was meant to discover it. Welcome to the Cafe Truth Podcast. Join me, your host, Kevin, in exploring Stoic philosophy and how we can use it to create a more intentional life, free from excuses and self-pity, even in the midst of challenges. I also chat with good friends and special guests on occasion to take on the mysteries of life using the lens of Stoicism and other philosophies, talking about everything from spirituality, entrepreneurship, digital nomadship, and much more. We do our best to make every episode thought-provoking and practical for everyday life, so stay tuned. Well, I'm very excited to present this episode and interview with Craig Stanlin. I heard about Craig as I was listening to the James Altucher podcast, and I don't listen to all of his shows, or actually I don't listen to that very often, but my interest was piqued by reading the title of, of his interview with Craig. And I think, like many, I was drawn into the story because of, you know, it's a, it makes for a fascinating story. Somebody who has served time in a federal prison for uh, white-collar crime, but also what is that about? What's that experience like? What are lessons learned? And we always have these two choices. We don't have to learn a lesson, even if there's punishment, even if there are consequences that we're paying. We can still resist and decide and choose not to learn a lesson, no matter if it's a big or small thing we've done or it's a big or small consequence that we're experiencing. We can choose to ignore it and feel self-righteous, tell the authority figure whatever they want to hear to leave us alone and go back to, you know, to our ways. Or we can, in that moment, wake up and say no more. I get it. And there are plenty, plenty of people who have gone through what Craig has gone through in terms of his federal stay, his time in the prison system, and not willing to go to that point, that uncomfortable point where they see, you know what, I am responsible. I am responsible. And what makes someone like Craig very special is his willingness to go boldly into that very uncomfortable, very scary place of of taking full responsibility and, and not letting himself just point the blame to somebody else because it feels less painful that way. Those aspects of integrity that we have... That's what it comes from. And whether we've done that on a small level or a large level, we all have to go through that. And it's much harder when you go through it on a larger level. Like Craig has, and it takes much more courage to acknowledge. And so I, my hat's off to him, and I uh, so appreciate him coming to share this wisdom with us. And I hope that it's an interesting conversation. So enjoy. I want to welcome Craig Stanlin to Cafe Truth, to our podcast here. And thank you for joining me, Craig. It's, it's a delight to have you and, and an honor to have you on. Kevin, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I've been very interested in, in your story. It's, for those of you listening, it's a fascinating story. 
Um, and I heard it through the James Altucher podcast a few months ago, and and just the title, I was like, I have to, I have to listen to this one. I don't always listen to to everyone that he puts out. I, I appreciate that he goes out of his way to get to to bring guests on that have something different to say, especially about business, than just your typical, you know, we have the typical entrepreneur, entrepreneurial story. And what was intriguing to me was that you had entrepreneurship throughout your whole background, even in terms of your work in the corporate world, you were kind of doing your own business per se. And then what's neat about your work these days is that you're back in the entrepreneurial space. So it's something that, you know, I, as an entrepreneur of many years myself, I really appreciated that aspect. But your journey is just a, a fascinating one of really a lot of more, you know, coming to some clarity about things coming to some peace. And I'm really excited to talk to you about just your thoughts on not only your story, but the, the lessons you've learned, especially from a stoic perspective. And so I was, you know, I have too many questions. So we'll, I'll have to hold myself back just because there's so many interesting things that I've, that I've been uh, reading about in either your website, your blog, and some of also the podcasts I've listened to of you. So I I'm just going to run down quickly about the facts for our listeners, just so that they kind of know, you know, if they haven't heard of you, haven't heard of your story yet, I'll just kind of run through them quickly. And you can let me know if there's anything that I'm missing here. In 2013, you were arrested for exploiting the warranty policy of a large tech firm. This is a, a company that you worked for, if I'm not mistaken, as a salesperson, which was considered a white collar crime at the time. I believe you were arrested by the FBI. Subsequently, you were sentenced for two years in federal prison, followed by three years of supervised release. And there was an order to pay a restitution of about $834,000. During this time, you also experienced a lot of loss, things that you were dear to you, your wife, you had multiple homes, cars, your career obviously was changed forever. And What's most interesting is you mentioned you you had a loss of an identity, and I thought, and that's something that I want to to look into a little further and, and chat about with you. Since being released from federal prison, you've spent the past five years reinventing yourself, and now you help others do the same. And you use the the term reinvention architect, which I think is a, a really cool and interesting term. Are the details that they're correct? That was a wonderful summary. There's only one thing that I will correct. It was actually our partner company. I didn't work for the company directly. It was our partner company that I exploited their warranty policy. Other than that, like I said, excellent summary. And that is, that is, that is me in a nutshell. Cool. Yeah, it's good to, good to get that backstory. What I wanted to do is chat with you a little bit about this journey of, of awareness that you have come to from what I've seen. So the first thing that kind of struck me was something that you mentioned in another podcast. And it was a, a sort of like a little saying that you have, which is fear is an illusion. So I thought we'd just start with fear. And I want to just get your thoughts on like, what, what does that mean to you? And, and how did you come to this? I came to fear is an illusion through analyzing the choices that I had made that led me to federal prison. I acted out of fear. I acted out of fear that I had to maintain a lifestyle that was actually killing my marriage, to tell you the truth. You know, both of us were getting sick of the excessive dining, the excessive drinking, the spending on things that really didn't matter, shoes and dresses and the materialism 
And I was so afraid, though, of losing that, that when I realized that my paychecks were shrinking because the products that I was selling were becoming more of a commodity. So my paychecks were shrinking and my need to maintain that identity was increasing. And I found the opportunity to exploit that warranty policy for my financial gain. And that's it was really fear that led me to that. And what I was fearing was what I thought may happen, what might happen. Fear, unless there is a gun pointed in our face, unless we are running into a burning building, my belief is that fear is based in the future. And it's just, it's, it's Sherry Huber, the author Sherry Huber has a wonderful way of expressing this. Fear is very often nothing more than fear of our own imagination. And, you know, we project ourselves into, like I said, that thing that may happen and it starts becoming a reality. But when we step back and realize and, and grasp our presence and where we currently are, everything's okay right now. And yes, that thing that we think might happen is a possibility. But however, it is one of, quite frankly, an infinite number of possibilities of things that might happen. And that's what led me to realize that fear is an illusion. And once that I was able to, to realize that, it just helps me navigate fear that much better. Do I face every single one of my fears? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. It's a practice and it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, but it's a, that's a huge step to be able to get to that point, to understand that fear is just an illusion. Yeah, it's, it's a really powerful, we, we've heard these things before, you know, you have the Roosevelt quote, there's nothing to fear except fear itself, but these become cliche. And, and, and so to have a chat with someone who's faced some pretty heavy stuff, and one can imagine a lot of fear involved. So there's the fear you mentioned about fear of losing the, the life that you had, you know, there's, there's a saying that fear is often in two forms, either it is the fear of losing what you have that you love dearly or the fear of not getting what you want, right? And so you mentioned the fear of losing what you had. I imagine there was a a fear when you when you were sentenced and you still were you know not in prison yet and so there's this this valley between the sentencing and when you're actually going in. Can you talk about that fear? I remember Another podcast I listened to, you it was a, a mentor of yours and you were visiting him and he just said you you didn't look so good at the time. Could you talk about that that time? And you, you mentioned actually another on the James Altucher, you, you lost a lot of weight. So I imagine there's a lot of stress at that time. What was that fear like? And then what can you contrast it to how, once you got into prison, what that what that felt like after you kind of got into your groove and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And what I'll do, I'll reframe that just slightly. I'll go from the day of arrest all the way to reporting to prison because there were just so many different there were so many different levels to that and it was pure uncertainty and sheer terror. I did not know what was going to happen and everything that my wife and I did was obscured by this cloud of the unknown. Am I going to go to prison? Am I going to get just probation? Didn't know any of these things. My gut was telling me that I was going to go to prison and I didn't realize that there were different levels of prison. I didn't realize I'd be going to the lowest security prison. I just thought I'd be going to 
the prisons that I see on TV. I am all of five foot four. At the time of my arrest, I was about 140 pounds. I'm not a large gentleman. I was under the assumption I was going to get raped and beaten every single day of my prison sentence. And that was a fear that I lived with. I feared losing all of my money because I wasn't sure exactly how that was going to transpire. Fear of losing my wife. Everything was clouded in that fear. And it just weighed on me so much. You brought up the weight loss. When I went into prison, I clocked in at 110 pounds. I lost 30 pounds as a result of the stress and the fear. Once I realized that I'd be going to a low security facility, I actually went to what's called a camp where I'd be with other white collar, um, other white collar criminals and nonviolent drug offenders. That took a lot of stress off, but there's still the unknown. You still don't know what you're going to face every single day. I don't know what my routine is. I don't know who the people are going to be. I, you know, it was just pure uncertainty. And when I actually did report to prison, and you know, I, I, I drove up with my stepmother, my father, and my wife, and we, we pulled up, and there was this giant man. I mean, big muscular dude. I mean, 6'4", 6'5", 270, intimidating. But he's petting a cat on the sidewalk. And the cat is rolling around, exposing its belly to this giant man. And he's talking to the cat with a little baby voice, you know. And, and when I saw that, I realized I was going to be okay. When I actually started getting into the flow of things, you know, all of those fears that I had, that I had completely, in a sense, wrecked my life for, that ruled my life, because in between getting arrested and actually reporting to prison was about 10 months. So that was 10 months of agony. Every single fear that I had was unfounded. I was safe. My environment was actually, all things considered, attractive. You know, we had picnic tables outside. I was on a mountain in the middle of central New York. We had beautiful sunrises and sunsets. We had deer that we could feed. We weren't supposed to, but we did. You know, we had wild turkeys running through. Uh, you know, it's just, it was actually somewhat of a bucolic setting, quite frankly. So all of these, all of these things that I was so scared of, I can't think of, there's one that came true. There is actually one that came true. And that is my wife did leave me. An interesting thing about that though, is that 10 months of worrying about that, that didn't do a damn thing to mitigate her actually leaving me. You know, that, that worrying and that fear is really, it's paying a tax on something before you've actually purchased it. So I just wanna spend a minute. Obviously, reviews are the lifeblood of a podcast in terms of spreading the word, helping people find that podcast and making people willing to listen. So I would so appreciate it if you, the listener, would be willing to spend a minute just leaving a quick review, a positive review for us, either on Apple Podcasts or if you're Android, maybe something like Podcast Addict or whatever particular uh, app that you like that allows reviews. That would be super helpful for us. I'm, I'm somebody, I can just tell you, I'm somebody who... I don't like to leave reviews for apps or podcasts very much. It's just I'm, I'm really busy. It's it's so much going on. So I get it. I'm I'm guilty of of not doing what I'm asking you to do. 
But one thing that helps me, and I'm hoping something that will motivate you, is if there's an incentive, I'm willing to do it. And so if you're listening to this podcast episode, and within one month of listening to this particular episode, you are willing to leave us a review, I will send back to you uh, a gift certificate for a free coffee on me. Free coffee, tea, whatever you like to drink. Um, for a Starbucks, if you're in the U.S. or the U.K. or something like that where there's Starbucks. If you're not in the U.S., um, uh, we'll figure something out. So I'll, I'll buy a coffee for you one way or another. I'll get that that uh, $5 gift certificate in some form so that you can go get a coffee on me. Send me an email at kevin at cafetruth.com. That's my email. Just um, tell me the episode that you heard this on and tell me um, where you left the review so I can go check it. And again, I'll send you back a uh, gift certificate for a coffee. If you send me that email within one month of hearing the episode that you mentioned. Now, one way I've made it really easy to leave a review is simply by going to the following URL. Rate this podcast, all one word, ratethispodcast.com forward slash cafe truth, one word. So ratethispodcast.com, that's all one word, forward slash cafe truth. So again, if you're willing to put that review out there, you send me an email at kevin at cafetruth.com. I will send back to you that $5 Starbucks gift card so you can get a coffee on me. And I'd so appreciate your support and helping spread the word about this podcast. Mm-hmm. Powerful. There's a lot there. I want to get to the loss of your wife and, and chat with you a little bit about that. But before that, it's sort of what you're describing going from the fantasy of what prison was going to be like that you're, that you're living in for 10 months. You're not even probably living in the moment. You're probably just spending all your, your waking days, you know, in this fantasy prison that you're, that you think you're going to get to. It reminds me of some of the Stoics being banished, being exiled by various emperors back. If you go back to these days where you, if you read a lot of Stoic texts, you see these writings where they're, they're being sent off or they're, they've been, been sent off and they're, they're kind of talking about their experience, leaving society, leaving everything that they knew, leaving their friends, leaving their, you know, again, their career, their, their means of sustenance and thrown into an, an unknown. And then finding once they get there, that this is a transformative experience. This is the thing that actually helps them develop their philosophy, develop their understanding about life. And I remember in one of your podcasts, you talked about finding that you you had all this time to meditate where whereas before it was just something that you wished you could have done and now you suddenly you're given this in a way a gift people quit their livelihoods and join a monastery voluntarily to get in, in a sense what you were able to get at this camp it sounds like to a certain extent not to make it too rosy but but there was some aspect of that i think there is a, a parallel to that kind of stoic thought when did you get into Stoicism, by the way? And, and did, did you discover this in prison? Did you discover this afterwards? And, and did you relate to some of the stuff you were reading about that? So I actually uh, came into Stoicism after prison. It was very soon after I was released from prison. So I went from, I went from the prison camp to the Brooklyn halfway house. And that is actually where I discovered Stoicism because I then had access to, I had my, I had my smartphone back. We weren't allowed to have smartphones, but 99% of us did have them anyway. So I had access to the internet 
And I, I came to Stoicism, you know, I knew, I knew we were kind of maybe going to touch on this. So I was really giving it some thought. And I remember Tim Ferriss, I, I remember him talking about it. And one of the most impactful books that I read when I was in prison that I reread um, once a year, I'm actually coming up on my, my annual need to reread it, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I did, a more, some, I did some research on that and realized how much Stoic philosophy is baked into that book. So between Tim Ferriss and Man's Search for Meaning, that led me into Stoicism. And, and, and to your question, it resonated immediately. It just, I, I, there was part of me that was actually pissed off that I didn't have access to this when I was in prison. I really had wished that I had started this journey when I was in prison because I just think it would have been that much better, but also things happen when they are meant to happen. So I discovered it when I was meant to discover it. Wow. That sounds about right. And that's so true. There's that huge... There, there is this connection to Viktor Frankl's work and, and that Stoic philosophy. There's a undeniable connection there. In your email, you also mentioned, I thought it was interesting, that you have three tattoos that are related to Stoicism. One is the impediment to action, advances action, what stands in the way becomes the way, which is tattooed on your ribs. And then you have a few more, Amafuate and Memento Mori. Can you just talk about what were what were you thinking when you decided to go with these? By the way, is the first one the impediment to action? Is that in Latin or is that in English? It is. It is in English. It is in English. It's on my left rib cage, and I also gave proper attribution to Marcus Aurelius, which some of my friends said, "I can't believe you have somebody's name tattooed on you." And I said, "As a writer, I have to give pro proper attribution." <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to. It's 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 a, it's a moral imperative for me. I couldn't not do that. Um, I thought about getting it in Latin, but I wanted it to be uh, accessible to anybody who may see it, and also just stemming. I didn't want you know the not that I'm walking around shirtless all the time, but I'd also didn't want what does that say, and then to have to explain it further. The first two that I got were the Morphite and Memento Mori. And those are on my forearms and they're facing towards me as a reminder. And what I was thinking when I got those was just the, the, the shortness of life and how much time, and although it wasn't that much time, but the fact that I lost time because of the choices that I had made and, you know, landing in prison, I use I utilize that time really well, but it was still the loss of freedom. And that led me to memento mori. And, and that's just a, it's a very powerful reminder for me. And it circles right back to the beginning of our conversation. It ties very much to fear as an illusion. And it, it reminds me when I feel that twinge and that hesitation to do something that it's not that I'm going to die anyway. It's not the morbid aspect of it. It's that I want to live as fully as possible while I'm alive. So when I feel that that pit of the stomach nervousness, that I've got to move forward through that. And so that's where that came from. And then amorphity is really I got that because I love I love I love what it stands for: love of fate, 
or love of one's fate, depending on the interpretation you like to go to. But really, it was the Nietzsche quote, which I'm not going to get 100% correctly, but it is, my formula for greatness in a human being is a more fatigue that one wants nothing different, not backwards, not forwards, that you wouldn't change anything, mm -hmm. no matter what. Not only do you accept it, you love it. And I'm not getting that right by any stretch, but that quote allowed me to really accept my prison sentence, to accept my reality, and to know going forward, circling back to those fears and facing those fears, if something doesn't work out entirely the way that I want it, if I take that risk, if I, you know, go to the if I go to the edge and I jump into the abyss, that whatever's going to happen is going to be okay. And it's building that trust within myself. And that really, the, that was the impetus for getting those two. And then the impediment to action advances action, what stands in the way becomes the way. When I was in prison, didn't really realize the impact my crime was going to have on my career and my ability to get work. I, I was somewhat under the illusion that I was going to be able to get back into the corporate world. But I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I had these two things. It was the what I know of going into the corporate world versus what I really wanted. Well, I tried getting back into the corporate world and I would go pretty far through interviews. And eventually, you know, I would I would come forward and share the information that I am a federally convicted felon. I was convicted on one count of mail fraud. And most of my interviewers would say, you know, I don't have a problem with it. You're a great candidate, but we have to check with HR. And I think we all know what HR would say to such a thing. So my impediment to what I thought I wanted was my federal record. And what I ended up doing was realizing that I could embrace it, I could accept it and take full ownership over it and use that to be of service to other people. And that became my action. So I actually got that tattoo this year, right before lockdown. I got that in February of this year. It was a, a week after I delivered my TEDx. It was kind of a celebration of doing that. But the other question that you asked was, do they still hold meaning? And they, they absolutely do. There are times where, again, that fear comes up or something doesn't work out the way that I thought, all I have to do is look at my forearms and be reminded. And there are times if something difficult comes along, some form of impediment, I will take my right hand and I can just put it on my, I can put it on my rib cage and that serves as a reminder as well. Wow, that's really, really powerful. In terms of the Amarfati, I've I love it. And I'm also intimidated by it. Maybe it's like the most intimidating because you really have to commit it. I talk a lot about it on this podcast and I'm a big fan of a teacher named Byron Katie. I don't know if you're familiar with her work at all, but it's not too dissimilar. I mean, one of, one of her main books is loving what is, and that's really just this willingness to embrace what is no matter what. And so that notion of fate and accepting things exactly as they are, it's its pretty incredible. And I would say when you look back now, because you mentioned one of your blog posts, how you in prison were in a time where you were thinking back to the day that you began the crime, 
And if you could only go back and maybe you wish you could have not seen the the loophole or wish you could have done things differently. And there was this time where you just kept going back and back and back. And I've been in, in places, I think many of us have, where you go back to that moment and you analyze it. You It's like a, the biggest regret of your life. Or you, if only I had made that, you know, gone left instead of right, things would be better for me now. When did that start to break for you? And I assume at least it's at least reduced, if not gone. When did that happen for you? And what was the process to get to where you are now? That is, I love, I love this question. And that was, I would say, what we're about to talk to, um, and the question you just asked, was the very first step that started the reinvention process of my life. And it was in prison. I was sitting in the prison library and I was, I was annoyed that somebody was in my seat, my normal seat. I was annoyed about that sitting there and I was wishing all over the place. I was just wishing all over the place that I had not made that choice, that I had listened to my heart when it told me not to do it. I wished that I was home with my wife and my dog and my cat sitting on our couch. Bear in mind, my wife had already told me that she was leaving me. So that was already, you know, an impossibility, if you will, unto itself. And it's just wishing, wishing, wishing. And it just dawned on me that I am fighting a past that cannot be anything other than it is. It can't be as much as I wished, as much as I ruminated on that choice and beat myself up for that choice. It can't be anything other than it is. It is what it is. And that just led me to my intuition really kicked in. And I wrote, I accept that I made the choices that I made. I accept that I'm getting divorced. I accept that I'm a federally convicted felon. I accept that my finances are ruined. And I wrote, it was half a page to three quarters of a page of things that were regrets that I accepted because they were reality. They were true. There was no denying them. And the moment I did that, it dissolved that day. It dissolved the time that I made that first choice to commit the crime. And it was freedom. It was, it was I experienced in prison freedom. And it was such an amazing feeling. It was this burden off of me because not only did I accept all those things, but in doing so, I gave myself, I gave myself a starting line as crappy as that starting line was sitting in a prison library, being divorced, being financially ruined, I had a starting line. I was present in that moment. And that was, it was a very, very powerful and instrumental part of my journey. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's almost as if once you're willing to accept the reality of the past, the decisions that you've made, now there's, a next choice, which is, are you going to just accept it or are you going to actually embrace it? And from what I've heard you say already, it seems like you made that choice to actually go even further and not just be okay with it, but actually, as it says, amor, which means to love in Latin, you love the fate, right? Now, it doesn't mean that every day, I'm sure, you know, we all have our moments where we don't love exactly everything or we have some resistance, but You've talked about gratitude. You've talked about embracing you know, the impediment of what 
that action, what that decision led to in your life and what, what new reality has been created. And so can you talk a little bit about the amor part, the part that you've now come from just accepting to actually not wanting to go back and change it, but actually wanting it to be what it is and actually the gratitude that you have? I know you mentioned gratitude a little bit. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on gratitude. Yeah. So there's a couple of things in there and I'll start with gratitude. Gratitude was one of the foundational practices that I began in prison that I still do to this day. And I cannot express, there's so much out there about gratitude. And I feel like it's almost lip service at this point with some of the, the content that is out there. But I have to reiterate how unbelievably transformative a gratitude practice can be when done consistently. It rewires the brain from scarcity to abundance. And when we're operating from a place of abundance, we can operate from a place of courage. We can face those fears. We can really start changing our lives. And we don't, we don't look, it's so easy to spend so much time looking at what is missing, what is lacking, as opposed to spending time at looking at what really is there and what we, mm -hmm. we actually do have. And that's what gratitude does. It was not easy to express gratitude in prison there were many times where, you know, one of the only things I could be grateful for, I had, um, I had instant coffee and powdered cream for my, you know, that was, that was my morning beverage. And you believe it or not, it was really hard to get that, that blend just right where it would taste okay. So there were days where I'm like, I got my blend <laughs> of coffee and cream right today. And I am grateful <laughs> for that. And that's, that's the only thing I'd be grateful for but I was still grateful for it and I still moved forward with that. And then in regards to learning to love what is and what was, that has been, that's been an evolutionary practice that has taken a tremendous amount of time and there are a lot of steps to get to that point. And I will tell you, you'd mentioned, you know, you're sure that, you know, you're thinking that there might be some days where, you know, I, I don't embrace it. I have yet to come across one of those for about a year to two years, if I was to really think about it, where I have created, if we have what I've, I've created, what I think is just such an extraordinary life, a life that I love living. And this life would not have occurred had I not made that choice. Had I not gone to prison, I wouldn't be doing the things that I do today. and being of service to people the way that I am of service by sharing my story. And the, the idea of being a storyteller and a writer and, you know, being a coach, it's so much fun to me. And it, it's so different than my previous life where everything was based on materialism, getting that next deal, getting that next big commission check and chasing, chasing, chasing. I'm no longer chasing and I'm at peace. And that's where I find the love of what happened and that's how i'm able to to embrace it is because of the the life that i live now and just being present in that mm -hmm. yeah it's really it is a journey but it's something that you come across to me as someone who's either you're either going to jump all in or not you come across as me someone who's very sincere and committed to to this process and it, it's very apparent going back to that appreciation of your life now, and then contrasting it to the 
the great loss that you experience and you write about the loss that you wrote because a lot of people who may be listening we've all experienced our own versions of loss there's a there's a mourning of what either a loss of someone in your life that was close or a loss of a future direction that is no longer possible and so when it comes to losing your marriage or losing your wife there was in one of the other podcasts, you mentioned just the fear, the terror of losing your wife, obviously super important relationship to you at the time. And now you're on the other side of that. Can you talk to me like, what would you say to yourself back then where you were fearful those 10 months? What would you say to yourself if you could go back and, and have a chat with yourself about what what the future would be like with that loss? And would that be okay? Could you be okay? What a great viewpoint. I love this. And what I would what I would go back and say is, if I was talking to myself, I would say, this pain that you're experiencing right now, it feels permanent. And it feels like it's going to be your state of being for the rest of your years. It, it feels as though it's never going to change. You're always going to be consumed by this. But I can tell you this, it's temporary. Everything is temporary and it doesn't seem it right now, but you will get through this and you will, you'll be okay. You'll be okay without her. And, you know, it may seem impossible to think that, but you will be, you'll just, you'll be okay. You know, I don't think I would make any promises that things are going to be extraordinary and they're great. Sometimes all we need to be is okay. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think there's so much, you know, we've got to be happy and we've got to yes. have purpose and we've got to do all these things. And I'm, 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 I'm for all those things, but the onus and the pressure that could be put on that, sometimes just being okay is good enough. And that's what I would tell, that's what I would tell myself is you're going to be okay. For those of us listening to this, it's neat to, you know, we all have those moments where we can contrast when we were terrified of something and then the other side of it when it ultimately happened. I remember when I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic when I was younger in my, in my teens, and I remember never had a needle in my life and suddenly I have a future of 10 needle shots a day or something. And it was just incomprehensible that I could be okay. And now it's like, I don't think about it at all, brushing your teeth or whatever. And then we all have these little things that, that we've overcome that we can use to, to face the next fear. There are things that not all of us will experience. And to talk to someone like yourself who's been through something that most of us may not experience, but to also hear as your words, it's going to be okay, is, is a very powerful, I think a very comforting thing with the right attitude. And I think that's, that, that's where that stoicism comes in. So thank you for that. I want to jump really quick to something you mentioned in, a, I think it was another podcast that really stood out to me, which was, and I think you used the words of being not enough. And this sense of not enoughness going all the way back to even childhood. I think you mentioned that you'd experienced an incident where you had a parent that, that scorned you for a test in which you got a 97%. And they said, what happened to those other three points? And that maybe being sort of a genesis for this feeling of not being enough, which leads you to make decisions down the road that are perhaps driven partly by this sense of I'm not enough, so I've got to do whatever I can to be enough, no matter what it takes. Can you talk about that and what looking back now, 
if any of those things contributed, do you think, to to some of those decisions? I believe that they absolutely influenced my decisions um, without a without a doubt. I will also say that I take 100% responsibility for what it is that I've done. And I don't want to point any fingers at anything specifically because I don't want to fall back on something as a crutch. I, I accept 100% responsibility. And at the same time, I can also say that it was certainly influenced by, I, you know, I think it's difficult to put a lot of work, let's say, into a test, you know, even at second grade, but studying and coming home with the 97% and being scolded for missing those three points and realizing that, you know, from that as a child, it, it is very easy to take that into, well, if I'm perfect, then nobody can say anything to me. So all I have to do is attain perfection in everything that I do. And the people who care for me won't be able to, they won't be able to say anything hurtful to me. They won't be able to come at me. Nobody, nobody will be able to touch me if I'm perfect. And so that can very easily, and it did for me, morph into, if I'm anything less than perfect, then I'm not enough. And so always chasing that and diving into other beliefs of materialism and having to drive the right car, wear the right watch, do all these things, having that belief that that is quote unquote perfection. You know, that is, that is the, that's what's going to make me enough. That's what's going to make me worthy is by having these things. So I would say that definitely that was Genesis and throughout the years, all other influences and everything that came up and things that people said, it just all adds into really yeah. a perfect storm that, that led me to, to make that choice to commit the crime. That makes sense. I mean, it's not really about trying to put the blame elsewhere, but it is instructive, I think, for us all to look back and see for our own reasons why, what's going on here. And as I was listening to another interview with you, you talked about similarly going to the fanciest restaurants or the, or the nicest restaurants, buying the most expensive wine. And that kind of behavior that many of us have experienced as well, where we're trying to prove something, maybe because there's this gnawing fear underneath that we're not enough. One of the great teachers that I follow and have followed for the past 20 years, Miguel Ruiz, who's the author of The Four Agreements. And one of my favorite quotes of his is, we grow up believing in lies. One of the biggest lies in the story of humanity is the lie of our imperfection, or in other words, not being enough. I think he said in other places, the biggest lie in your mind is the fact, is the notion that you're not enough. So it really has this potential to, to drive us to do things that are maybe not in our best interest. I'm just curious, this is this not enoughness. I, I think you also talked about some of the shame that you felt coming out of prison and still, even today, still work through. There's times, I think you mentioned, where you still feel like you work th through overcoming this sense of shame, which is ultimately, I would guess, another sense of I'm not enough. There's an imperfection still here. But what I'm curious about is this experience that you've gone through, this hellfire, if you want to say, that you've gone through. Do you feel like there's a difference between the Craig of 2012, who, when you heard your mind say, I'm not enough, and the Craig of 2020, when you hear that thought, I'm not enough, 
Do you feel like what you've been through has helped you be a little more skeptical of that inner dialogue? Oh, I love the questions that you're asking. And absolutely, there is a tremendous difference. The I'll distill it to the, to the simplest. In 2012, I believed it. In 2020, I ask for evidence. I say, prove it, show me. And it can't, the voice can't. There's nothing, there's nothing up there. Or if it does try to offer any form of evidence, I have enough tools in my tool belt to understand that that is, that is my lower self speaking. That is ego. That's the voice of self-hate trying to keep me playing small. And I can, I can observe that and learn from it now. And I, I, I still listen to that voice, but I don't believe that voice. And that's just a huge, huge difference. In 2012, Craig believed you know, every single thing that the voice said was just gospel, which I think is, I think is very prevalent amongst all of us. It's a voice inside of our own head. It must be telling the truth. Yet, I mean, it's, it's hard to delineate those two. But there is, again, I'm going to cite the author Sherry Huber, who will offer this. Any voice inside your own head that does not come from a place of love, intelligence, and compassion doesn't need to be believed. And that's not the real you. That is not your higher self. That is not the real you. And, and with that knowledge, when that voice comes up, I can, I, can, I can put the brakes on it now. That's really powerful. You talk about freedom. That's where you start playing with some real freedom from that tyranny of the inner voice. I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona. It's, it's a fine place. But one thing I love about the name is just this rising from the ashes. And it sounds like there's been a huge shift in you. It's not just that, okay, he's learned his lesson, but there really was a desire for you to not be okay with just learning your lesson enough or whatever kind of cliche phrase you want to put on there. There was a true desire to know the truth, to find out, to get to the root of things. In another interview, you were asked about coming out and why it took you about five years to kind of get to this place. And you mentioned that you had a, a girlfriend that said, you know, why don't you just start your business right now? What's, what's holding you back? And your response was interesting to me. It was something about, I'm not ready yet. I'm not going to rush this. I'm going to have the integrity to wait until it's the right time. Even if I can do it, I'm not going to do that. And I assume what you've gone through has helped you develop that sense of timing, that sense of really wanting to make sure that it's sincere, that what you're whatever you're doing, whatever action you're taking is really coming from the heart. Can you talk about that a little bit and how you approach things now and what you decide to do? Yes. And what I'll do is I'll contrast that going back to, let's say, 2012, Craig, where everything had to be executed upon immediately. It was that scarcity mindset that I had to act immediately on everything. Through the practice of gratitude and sincerity, and I like the fact that you use the word integrity because that is one of my core values that I've developed as a result of you know, my experience. And now there's no need to rush anything. There's no need to jump into anything. I have an inherent trust in myself. This goes right back to amorphity is that what will happen will happen and I'll embrace it and I'll be okay. And to to what you were saying with my with my ex-girlfriend, why don't you just jump into business? You know, why what are you afraid of? Part of her was a little correct. There was a little bit of fear, but that fear was 
I don't know enough yet to be able to help people. I've done a lot, but I don't know enough yet. And there's a lot more that I need to do. There's a lot more that I need to discover. There is the truth that I want to seek and I want to find. And before I do all of that, or before I launch anything, I need, I need to do, I need to do that work. I need to explore. I need to excavate because I'm not going to feel comfortable otherwise. And when I made the decision to do what it is that I do now, coaching people as, as a reinvention architect, when I made that decision, it flowed from such a natural and beautiful place that there was no doubt in my mind that this is what I'm meant to do and that I know exactly what I am doing. And it's, it's a result of, you know, her saying that and then between launching the business was, you know, it was three to four years where I essentially lived as a hermit. I went out, I had friends and everything like that, but I didn't, I didn't really, you know, my aunt was actually concerned for me. She's like, do you okay? Do you go out? Do you socialize? And said, I'm busy, I'm busy working. And I, I need to do this right now. I'm, I'm so grateful for those three years because they all coalesced into, it ties right back to what we were saying before. It ties right back into living that extraordinary life. And it's because I didn't jump into it. It's because I didn't feel the urge to operate from a scarcity mindset and trusting myself to do it the way that I'm, I'm doing it. My, my book is a great example. It took me four and a half, five years of writing my book, um, eight drafts. It's going to be released March 2021, which I'm, I'm so excited about. But I've had people who read the first draft, some who didn't even read the first draft. It's good enough now. Why don't you publish it? You're afraid. You're afraid of something. Why don't you publish it? And I stood by my, my gut reaction of, no, it's not ready. And there were so many people who said, that's fear speaking. And I said, no, it's not. I said, that's honesty because I haven't, I haven't gone deep enough in the book. And each subsequent draft went deeper and deeper to the point now where I, 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 reached, I, I reached what I would say, for lack of a better word, the conclusion where it's, yes, now it's ready. And now I can put it out. Now I can trust what I'm saying in there. I love this. It's learning, as we all need to do, to have that confidence in our intuition and at least just really be in touch with what we really want. And it sounds like in the old days, you might have been more swayed by those kind of, oh, you're scared, you know, man up or face your fears. There's a, there's a lot of these outside voices that either they... They complement the inner voices, the negative inner voices, or they help condition them. But real, true freedom is really being able to say, you know, no thanks. I'm trusting myself on this one. And I love that story of just having that sense of distinction between, you know, deep down, only you know what the difference is between if this is actually fear-driven or if it's faith, I guess you could say faith-driven or just trust in, in yourself or trust in, in fate itself. Thanks for sharing that. I want to talk about the kind of work that you're doing and that you've been doing uh, in the past couple of years. But before doing that, you mentioned something that I couldn't let go of, which was 
one of the things that you lost besides losing your cars, besides losing your houses, besides losing your, your relationship, you'd mentioned losing your identity. And this was very interesting for me because there's two sides of that coin as far as I see it. When you lose that identity, which I look at often as a mask, I think we are, uh, we tend to develop these masks as we grow up through conditioning, through people telling us who, who we are or what we seem like. We don't know who we are. So we put these masks on them. We become really attached to our mask. And so to really have that mask torn off, you're the guy who's successful. You're the guy who's making it. You're the guy who's, you know, living in, in the great neighborhood of New York, the beautiful wife, the great job. To lose that mask is such a jolt to the system. And yet I would suspect that on the other side of that, again, that valley, when you come up to the other side, there's something that you find after that, after you've lost that, maybe the only way to find that inner self, your true self. Can you talk about that journey a little bit and come into a little bit more sense of finding that authenticity underneath? Yeah, absolutely. And that, I would say, losing my identity was really the crux of my journey. That was everything that you said, the mask that I had and my attachment to that mask. That was, it was who I was. It was who, who I am on this planet as a human being was my, my homes, my cars, my beautiful wife, my expensive watches, those fancy dinners and bottles of wine. That's, that's all I was. And when all of that vanishes in an instant, I had no idea who I was other than the man who screwed it all up. That's all I knew who I was, was the man who destroyed everything. That led to, I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, just pure rock bottom. That is just pure shame, pure self-hatred, that it got so bad. And for the, for the listeners, if I won't, go into, I won't go into all the details right now. If you have an interest, interest you can check out my TED Talk where I really go how low I went into suicide ideation because I just didn't know who I was and I could not think of who I was going to be. I couldn't think that I was going to feel anything other than empty and hollow and, and alone and isolated. And just, it just, without that identity, you know, we crave that. We crave knowing who we are. And not having that is one of the most ungrounding sensations I've ever known. When I started turning my life around is when I started realizing that that wasn't my identity and that, that I had inherent value and worth just being a human being, being, being a friend to my friend. That's, that's, uh, it was a visit from a friend in prison that showed me I had value and that I had worth. And that showed me that there's a different self that I had, that I was unaware of. It was not tied to those things. And I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's very possible to find one's authentic self without having adversity. But I think it's really, really difficult because if things are okay, why are you going to examine anything? When 
you go through adversity and the ground is lost beneath your feet and you're falling into the abyss and you do hit that rock bottom, there are two choices. And this goes to you mentioning the Phoenix. You can stay in the burnt ashes of what was, living a life of bitterness and regret at what it could have been, what should have been, if only I had, or you make the decision to take that step out of those ashes, to try to attempt to make a new life for yourself. And what I think when we find our true self, when we, when we, when we first touch on that true self is when we find the courage and the trust within ourselves to take that first step out of those ashes and into trying to create something new. Because those ashes, as shitty as they may be, they become comfortable and they become the new status quo. And it can be very easy to stay in that. And it requires courage and a leap of faith to take that first step out. And that I believe is where we first touch upon our higher self, our true self, our authentic self. I know in another interview, you said you don't always believe that everybody needs that, that adversity to grow. Though I will say I've found it hard to find people that are extremely wise without some adversity. <laughs> Just seems to be a pattern there. But I imagine it's possible with that metaphor of a mask again. It's almost you take off the mask that you thought you were and then you stumble on another mask and that the other mask being I'm the guy who screwed it up. I'm the guy who hurt others or I'm the guy who is a criminal. That's another mask that we have. There's a temptation to put that one on. But what you're describing is someone who was willing to even look at that and say, you know what? Even this mask may not be really me. Let me go further and dig deeper. There's a great quote by same teacher, Miguel Ruiz, that says someone who is truly wise is someone who's able to wear hundred different masks, but not get attached to any of them. And because we're always going to have a mask, we're always going to have something that we need to present either to ourselves or to the world. But just knowing that that's not necessarily who we are, there's a freedom in that. I actually would like to hear about the kind of work that you're doing right now. There's a lot of people out there coaching. I respect that work on the technology side. I've actually worked with a lot of coaches and helped help them with their businesses and stuff. Who are the folks that you often help, can you talk about the type of clients that you usually work with? When I, when I started my business, I, I really thought that I'd be dealing with so many of the formerly incarcerated um, white collar offenders, people such as myself, rebuilding their lives. But I was surprised to find out, but now it makes a lot of sense that I deal primarily with people who have full-time jobs, some of which who are very successful, but they're lacking fulfillment. They are lacking joy. They're just, they know that there is more to life than the life that they're living and they want that more. And it's not more in the materialistic sense. And they have oftentimes difficulty articulating what that more is. And that's what I work with them on is we'll get very clear on what more means to them and how we can 
get that into their lives and give them that joy and that fulfillment. And, you know, oftentimes to reinvent themselves as something new, all the while still maintaining their jobs, still keeping the income coming in from their job, but finding joy in other ways and fulfillment in other ways where then all of a sudden their job becomes that much better. It's not a misery to go to work anymore. And really to, to connect them with their own trust, their own sense of being enough, their own sense of self-worth, to learn to love themselves and to accept themselves. And really to have that foundation allows my clients to then really create whatever it is that you want to create. When you have that strong foundation, you can build whatever you want. And that's, that's where, that's where my work focuses on. And I can't tell you how enjoyable and how rewarding and how fulfilling that is for me to see my client's evolution and their, their transformation is just mind blowing. And that's going back to what we were talking about earlier. None of this would have happened had I not committed the crime and gone to prison and experienced all that I experienced and to be able to use that now as a tool to be of service to to those in need is it's just a joy i mean it really is hmm. that's that's really incredible i think in another interview you talked about how there are just people that like yourself at the time you were scared in that corporate role you didn't know what to do you felt like there was need for a change and the behavior or the decisions that you made that came out of that could have been because of fear of making those big leaps. But it makes sense that we can get stuck in these places. We can get really stuck in the comfortable. Like you said, I really like how you put it. We can get comfortable in some of those ashes and not want to leave. Just like, it's painful, it's unpleasant, but I'll just, I'll stick it out here instead of really fully jumping to the next level. Is there anything that you do specifically that you'll help guide people to really look at the fears that they have and why they're scared to take the action that they need to? It all starts with, with inquiry. And it just is asking a lot of questions and listening to what they have to say. But even more importantly is hearing what isn't said. That is really the secret sauce in listening is to hear what isn't being said and to to allow my clients to connect the dots in their own mind. They do have the the answers in themselves. And that's what I believe, that's what I believe a really great coach does is just brings people to their own inner wisdom. It wouldn't help my clients if I said, do this and do this. It's bringing them to what is already within them so they come up with it on their own. That varies from client to client, but there is one very specific tool that I tend to use with, with all of my clients. And this is not, it's not mine. It actually came from the author Kamal Ravikant and he put it up as a tweet. He put it, he put this up as a tweet, but it impacted my life so much. And I, I used it mm -hmm. and it transformed my life. The surest path to self-confidence I know is making and keeping commitments. Well, how it impacted me was I, because of the choices I made, I didn't know how to trust myself. So I took Kamal's tweet and I realized, well, you can't have confidence if you don't trust yourself. 
and I need to trust myself. So I started making and keeping commitments to myself. And I realized with my clients, oftentimes if there is fear, there is no trust in yourself to be able to handle whatever may happen as a result of facing that fear. So we start by making and keeping commitments, whether that be somebody who practices Tai Chi, but hasn't been keeping up on their practice. Okay, make and keep the commitment to do that three times a week. And when you do keep your commitment to yourself, celebrate yourself. Really hardwire that into the brain to, to utilize the brain's own reward system that think about when you have a to-do list and you cross something off of it. Feels good. That's a little shot of dopamine. Our brain is actually wired for our success. So when you make and keep commitments and then you congratulate yourself for that, giving yourself a little bit of shot of dopamine. So now the brain goes, oh, that felt nice. I'd like a little bit more of that. So now you're making and keeping this commitments on a more regular basis. And you have somebody, me, keeping you accountable to making and keeping those commitments. I don't force them to do anything. If they miss a commitment, it is not the end of the world. But you know, I'm, I'm there to, to be the support. Now you've got a bunch of commitments that you've made to yourself that you have kept. And you can look back and realize, I'm the person who does what I say I'm going to do. I now have trust within myself. Now that I trust myself, what is something that I want to do but I've been afraid to do? Am I afraid to start writing that book? Am I afraid to go to that public speaking class? Um, am I afraid to have that difficult conversation with a sibling? Well, now I have this inner trust. I feel okay doing all of those things because I trust myself that I'm going to be all right, regardless of the outcome of any of those activities. So there's, there's a lot of steps, but that is that is one of the primary tools that I that I do use. And it goes even deeper than I explained here. But it's just so it's so simple and so powerful. I love that. It's really, really beautiful. And that's just a really clear way forward when you're stuck with something in life. You know that something needs to change and you don't know what to do. So thanks for sharing that. With regard to your book, it's coming out, you said in March. Is there anything that we should be excited about that we haven't talked about or I haven't heard in any of your interviews that will be revealed in that? What should we expect from the book? The book is, it's really my journey through hell and into rock bottom and the journey out. And to your point of not being able to necessarily capture it in a blog post or in a podcast interview, I like to think that I went as deep as physically possible when, I'll give an example, when I wrote about being sentenced, it took, it took eight drafts to actually get to the emotions that I experienced. I transported myself to that day in the courtroom and who was there, what did it smell like, what did it look like, and what I hope I captured is for the reader to know what it is like to be sentenced to federal prison. I, I, would, I would like to think the entire book is like that. It is as deep as I could have possibly gone. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why I had beta readers who, 
who read my my final draft before it actually went to it's now in the editing process but i one of my beta readers actually i mean several of them said they were like i was in your prison cell like there was one chapter and a lot of people cite this chapter it really is when i hit bottom they just said it hurt it it hurt to read it like i could feel it in my bones and i and i i think that's what I would like people to get excited about is to really just have that that inside view of the journey through hell and to rock bottom. And from the safety of your living room or your Kindle or your car, if you're listening to it on audiobook so that you don't have to go through it on your own. <laughs> but that's that's what I really that's what I'm excited about because I, I I gave it everything I got and and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm proud of how it came out. Well, I'm I'm excited to read it. I think that it it is a great story. So if someone likes a good story, if that's all they want, this is definitely a book for them. But you're still going to get some immense wisdom. So I want to recommend everyone to check that out. Where would you recommend people find you if they want to know more about you? What are the best places they can do that? We'll make it very easy. My website, craigstanlin.com. And I post every day on Instagram. I post short stories. I sh share lessons learned, um, powerful quotes, I, everything from my, my story into an applicable, you know, I hope lesson that people can take. And that is uh, Craig underscore Stanland on Instagram. And those are my those are my two main. Also have Facebook and LinkedIn, but those are my those are my two main guys right there. Right, perfect. Well, Craig, I really want to thank you. It's been an honor chatting with you, learning from you, and I appreciate you indulging me in some of my questions. I know they were um, they went in a bunch of different places, but I was just so excited to get the opportunity. And so, thanks for coming on and sharing. Kevin, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I really do appreciate that you reached out and that we could do this. And in regards to your questions, I absolutely love them. I like the conversations that that just grow organically and to be able to to pick up on something, you know, a great interviewer picks up on something that that the guest says and runs with it. And I, I love that because you you did that. So I really appreciate this opportunity and the questions. So thank you. All right, folks, check out Craig Stanlin at craigstanlin.com. And until next time, thanks for joining us. That's the end of our show. Hopefully you found this discussion interesting. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We have a good time with these discussions. We enjoy them, but they do take a lot of work outside of our normal everyday responsibilities. So one thing you can do if you really if you like what you're hearing if you want to hear more of it you want us to keep doing this go into your podcast app whether that be apple podcasts or google podcasts or spotify stitcher whatever you like to use click on that rate and review link or button and leave us a positive review leave us what you like about the show and let others know about the show it really will help spread the word and continues to help us feel motivated to, to keep doing these and putting these out there. So we, we do this just because we love it. We'd really appreciate your support. And if you have any interesting topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email. 
I'm at Kevin at CafeTruth.com, and you can reach Steve at Steve at CafeTruth.com. Thanks so much.